Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. I'm Ian Brzezinski. I'm a senior fellow at the Atlanta Council. Uh, my background includes time as a Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense uh, for Europe and NATO policy. It's great to be on, on this podcast. I'm a regular listener of uh, you and all your guests. Russian invasion of Ukraine and how nine Central European countries will respond. That is the title of our newest report that you can find on our page uh, for subscribers only. And there is a link also in the description of this podcast. So download now and read how different countries' strategies towards Ukraine may differ and what connects them and gives a promise of a coordinated action to support Ukrainian sovereignty and European security architecture. This is 7th of February, 2022. My name is Wojciech Przybylski. I'm sitting here with Miles Maftein and Kamil Jaronczyk in our Visegrad Inside podcast studio. And we're going to go with an overview of the weekly outlook. Kamil, what's in store? Yes, well, as, as every week, it seems, uh, this week is also packed with a lot of uh, interesting news for the region. Currently, of course, um, outside of the region, but uh, crucial to the region is the visit of President of France, Emmanuel Macron, to Moscow to uh, seek for commitments from Russian President Vladimir Putin, bring down tensions in Ukraine. But also, while the French president is going east, uh, the German Chancellor, Olaf Scholz, is actually going west to uh, Washington, D.C. to meet uh, U.S. President Joe Biden amid criticism that uh, Germany has not been doing enough in Ukraine and also crucially blocking, uh, as we covered in the last week outlook, blocking shipments from Estonia of howitzers to Ukraine. On the 15th of February, he will uh, also go to Moscow, but after uh, after a visit to Kiev on the 14th of February. And I think it's important also that Germany steps up in showing their commitment to NATO by reinforcing, promising, right now they are promising to reinforce Bundeswehr in Lithuania, where Bundeswehr leads the eastern eastern flank um, battle group. Yeah. Right. You will uh, read this week more about uh, battle groups and the importance of those in um, in NATO's framework on on the eastern front of the NATO uh, front front countries from Marcin Zaborowski. So stay tuned. Check our website. And this is what you just mentioned, Camille, uh, a clear example of a change of guard in the European transatlantic relationship. I mean, we, we put these two planes crossing um, uh, between Scholz and Macron's head. Uh, check our website for the creative. And uh, I think that clearly illustrates that there is a momentum amidst presidential elections and parliamentary elections in France, where France is trying to assume leadership once more and with good chances of succeeding from from the Germany uh, from the from the German uh, Chancellor, who was leading Europe as long as Angela Merkel was in in uh, power, and and now with Olaf Scholz, it seems that uh, Germany is only following. Hopefully, well, uh, Olaf Scholz is uh, less experienced than uh, Macron when it comes to such things, but we'll um, let's hope that that turns out. But uh, moving a little bit, uh, it's not just the French elections. This uh, this in the close time uh, in close time, there's also going to be the Hungarian election, which will actually be observed by the OSCE with a full scale international uh, election observation mission, uh, which is 
quite unusual for uh, an EU country, a EU member state, to be subject to a full-scale mission. But due to concerns of uh, Hungarian backs- uh, democratic backsliding, one has been called. Yeah, and we know something about it, uh, about Hungarian uh, electoral process and uh, democratic backsliding on all all the events that are, have led so far uh, to this observation mission. And uh, more is upcoming for for Hungary. Miles, uh, what's uh, what's our, our latest analysis that you find most interesting? Well, just going back a bit, this is an incredibly important decision that the OSCE has actually made. Can't really recall when such a <laughs> such a decision has been made for any country within the EU, uh, and we know that the Orban government didn't implement any of the 26 recommendations that the ODIHR basically gave in regards to the electoral system. And this kind of comes at a time after the 2018 parliamentary elections where the OSCE there did say that those elections were not fair. But the story of Hungary goes goes back, goes back even 11 years. So the idea there is, is that we we've seen since 2010 that the election brought a brought a lot of power to the Fidesz parliamentary supermajority. Uh, this is obviously led by Orban. In just two years after that, uh, so nearly 10 years ago, they fundamentally changed the the constitutional order of Hungary. Uh, they dismantled the idea of checks and balances. This allowed the government to lodge a lot of its loyalists in crucial long-term positions that had veto power and we can kind of see that this affected what future governments would be able to do. And this came at a time that it gave the Fidesz government a remarkable advantage, maximum room to maneuver while simultaneously entrenching their power, their policies, and their people for the foreseeable future. And of course, it still felt today, 10 10 years later, um, and specifically in regards to, to the electoral race, where it's currently neck and neck. And our, our recent piece uh, by Edith Good uh, discusses and, 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 and showcases a, a very particular, uh, but a very also important uh, segment of the electorate, how it is being targeted in coerced or corrupted in, in a way that, that may be decisive in, in this race, right? That's, that's correct. That's correct. So Edith, she discussed in a piece last week how, well, we have 10% of the voters in Hungary are actually uh, belong to Roma voters. And in a, in a race that's so neck and neck, this is incredibly important. And this isn't something that can actually be lost. So she, she argued that the united opposition should include the, the Roma into their broad alliance to essentially prevent corrupt tactics of the Fidesz government. Um, And after 12 years of the authoritarian remodeling uh, of Orban, there should be more attention paid to these intimidation tactics that Fidesz has during the campaign. So she kind of showed how the ruling party uses this informal power to create this massive system of dependencies, both within the Roma political community and the electorate. So the united opposition should essentially fight for the inclusion of Hungary's biggest uh, ethnic minority group that essentially remained without political representation once again. And this speaks directly to what happens with electoral clientelism in Hungary. The Roma are especially vulnerable in regards to uh, political campaigns. In exchange for votes, we see that local mayors and party representatives often provide cash handouts or food ahead of the elections. So it's a piece that 
has a lot of on-the-ground information that is not readily available elsewhere. So those who are interested can read a lot more on this uh, on the website. Thank you, Miles. Uh, indeed, a great story, um, <laughs> a worrying story that is in an in-depth um, analysis in a crucial moment right uh, before Viktor Orb Orban will speak on Saturday uh, to officially open electoral race. Let's not be illusioned under, uh, let's be under no illusions that there isn't a race, there is a race already, but uh, the, the official spending will be allowed uh, only as of uh, this weekend and um, expect some statements uh, after Viktor's Orban, uh, Viktor Orban's uh, trip to Moscow. That may refer also to the gas prices. We didn't hear much about whether he succeeded in uh, securing additional gas supplies directly from Moscow, because right after he went to Azerbaijan, which, as we uh, discussed the other day in the office, could have been uh, very likely an indicator that he did not succeed in um, in his bid to increase the gas supplies from Gazprom um, to his country. At, um, at this meeting um, in Moscow, we could also hear that Hungary is going to be supported by Vladimir Putin in its efforts to redirect part of the cargo shipments from China uh, to the cargo uh, train pot Depot, right? The, mm -hmm. um, land, uh, land port. So. Land port in, in Farhage. Farhage. So, Camille, uh, 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 what else is so visible now as, as the Beijing Olympics, the uh, Olympic Games in China has begun uh, from the political uh, landscape point of view? Yes, so um, currently, uh, so, so far from uh, Europe, for example, uh, the only uh, presidents that have uh, gone to Beijing uh, has been Vladimir Putin, of course, Alexander Vuvic uh, of Serbia, uh, often criticized for his, uh, uh, for his uh, authoritarian tendencies. And close ties to China. And close ties to China as well. And uh, President of Poland, uh, Andrzej Duda, also. The only one from the European Union so far to uh, have actually uh, made the trip to Beijing and to meet with uh, uh, Xi Jinping. So that is, that is indeed... Uh, uh News worth observing, uh, what to comment. And on one side, Duda presents himself as a true transatlanticist, or at least a person dependent on the transatlantic link in the structure of power in Poland. And on the other hand, uh, it's not for the first time that Polish authorities show that they respect and they level up the, uh, the, the, the meetings that are taking place uh, with China. Uh, that is to be evaluated, I guess, uh, over the uh, time of next weeks and, and months. This will be under our uh, uh, scrutiny, uh, scrutiny um, and our fellows' examination will go also there. Because I don't think it's essentially one-sidedly bad, although it doesn't look good, let's mm. admit. Poland in the past has played this role of a, of a middle ground for certain authoritarian practices. And if played well, it may provide useful again for also U.S. Uh, if we recall, unfortunate but still important uh, conference on, uh, on the peace in the Middle East, or <laughs> some said, uh, uh, you know, the conference, anti-Iran -Ir uh, conference that was held in Poland, not 
not by accident, because Poland has had uh, always good ties with Iran. So um, it all depends on the on how this thing is played. The risks are that it's not going to be played very well with uh, Polish foreign policy currently uh, being criticized a lot for underperformance, also uh, among our circles, our analytical and, uh, and fellow circles. So yeah, uh, we'll we'll come back to that. A short glimpse of what is what's else in the news. Yes. Yeah, so in Slovenia, which also has the elections in April, but on the twenty fourth, the president has uh, put into question who will actually get the first mandate to make the government, opening up a window for. <clears throat> Janusz Jansza, who has been underperforming in the polls. And in uh, Ukraine, the Slavko, uh, Slavkov uh, cooperation will be, uh, their foreign ministers will be uh, going. Just a reminder, Slavkov is Austria, the Czech Republic and Slovakia. They will be visiting Kiev and uh, Donbass uh, to, from today to uh, uh, basically to the 7th of February to uh, the 8th of February. And in Slovakia, the DCA has been signed. The Slovak-American agreement. Yes, the Slovak... We wrote about Matej Spisak. Yeah, Matej uh, Spisak's uh, great uh, text. But uh, even though it is likely to get the approval of the president, it still will go into the parliament on the 7th of February, and we will see if it actually passes or not, because um, there have been uh, talks in, in the Slo Slovak uh, coalition, that uh, the ruling coalition, that it's still on a wire's edge if it will get enough votes. Yeah, and as Matej Spisak indicates, that is uh, bringing Mr. Fico, the former disgraced prime minister, back into the game with uh, him, his party actually leading in the opinion polls. Right? Yeah, him and Pe Pellegrini. Peter Pellegrini, the, the dolphin uh, prime minister. <laughs> All right, uh, so that's a summary uh, weekly outlook. The, the events of the week uh, explains in detail on our page for subscribers. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening to this podcast. And now on to the interview with Ian Grzeziński. Ian, uh, great to have you on our podcast, on our show. Um, and uh, let me straight uh, go straight to the point of, of, of the three C's, but actually not through the three C's country perspective, but through the eyes of Ukraine, as Ukraine today is facing uh, a, a serious uh, threat, an existential threat, in fact, uh, with the forces of, of Russia amassing and um, and also the political communication from Moscow signaling it is ready to uh, do the harm. Uh, how, um, how important this regional cooperation is involving potentially Ukraine in the three seas um, in, the, in the larger scale of things? How, how would you assess um, uh, you know, the potential, for instance, of Ukraine uh, being more integrated with the three C's perspective to ensure it's uh, uh, to isolate it from any future threat. Wojciech, thank you for including me in this podcast. And it's, it's always great to work with the Fiskal Insight. You know, the Russia crisis that we face today is extremely urgent, but it also underscores the need for a more comprehensive effort within the region, across the region, across Europe, across the transatlantic community to reinforce, to strengthen the resilience of Central and Eastern Europe to aggression. Uh, and, you know, there is, of course, there's a military dimension to that. There's a diplomatic dimension to it. There's a 
social media, strategic communications dimension to it. There's an energy dimension to it. There's an economic dimension to it. And it's those last two areas where the three C's, I think, plays an important strategic role. Perhaps not in an immediate way, because when you talk about infrastructure projects as what is the focus of three C's, it's nonetheless key to security. Infrastructure security is key to economic growth. It's key to economic resilience and prosperity. Uh, it's key to energy security. It's key to military security. And it's lacking in this, in this regard. Infrastructure is lacking in this regard in Central and Eastern Europe because it's still very difficult to move commercial and military assets on the north-south axis up and down, uh, you know, from the, from the Baltic Sea to the Black Sea, uh, Adriatic Sea, to use the three seas terms. And that mobility is important, again, for commercial and military reasons. And the relationship with Ukraine is very important. Um, for, you know, three seas is a central European launch and led initiative, but I'm always encouraging it to express a vision that extends across all of central Europe. And certainly three seas projects could encompass projects that engage Ukraine through Poland, through Slovakia, through Hungary, through Romania. And you could think of pipelines, highways, uh, telecommunications networks, all of which could help bring Ukraine closer, uh, integrate it further uh, in a de facto sort of way into, into a wider Europe. That strengthens Ukraine, that strengthens Central and Eastern Europe, that strengthens transatlantic security. So yes, uh, even though the three C's doesn't have quote unquote a front and center military dimension, it has to be part of a broader strategy to reinforce the transatlantic community's Eastern frontier. Fine. That sounds like a great plan, ambitious. And uh, we have seen that uh, the three C's is also an ambitious plan. Still, uh, uh, much of the plan is not implemented. I mean, not all of the countries are on board in terms of the, you know, supplying funds for the investment fund. And yet here we already started to talk already last year about these dimensions of involving external partners uh, during Sofia summit in Bulgaria and also the Crimea platform meetings there were elements of discuss of this discussion of how Ukraine could fit in the three C's um, initiative. Uh, there were voices also highlighting some criticism, you know, that involving Ukraine perspective um, or any country, other countries than, than the existing ones could um, undermine the potential uh, format that is still in the making of the three C's. How, how would you respond to that? Well, I'd be very cautious because I'm an American um, sitting here in Washington, and this is a Central European launch-led initiative. So Central Europe to decide what its membership and, and focus should be. But when I look at the three C's right now, I see a community of 12 EU states, EU membership states. That membership is a distinguishing feature of, of the region. So it's a region that features states that are, have high rates of growth, the highest rates of growth in, 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 in Europe, the highest rates of return for foreign direct investment, um, and the stability uh, and risk mitigation that comes with being part of a community, the EU, that features foreign investors, you know, rule of law, uh, commercial respect for, 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 for contracts and, and such. That's an important distinguishing feature. Uh, 
That's why even though I spent two years in Ukraine and my heart is deep in Ukraine and I see Ukraine as an integral and important part of the transatlantic community, uh, I'm not in a position to say that we ought to be extending it to non-EU states. But I'm certainly among those who say the EU should be doing more to help Ukraine integrate uh, into, into, into the European Union to get membership. I think Ukraine is probably more ready than some other states that entered uh, the EU back in 2000 and 2004, 2005. And I think that the failure of the, of the West, of Europe, to put Ukraine onto a faster track for membership has actually contributed uh, to this crisis because it's left Ukraine vulnerable. Three Cs can play an important role, not simply just to a quote unquote extending membership, but identifying projects uh, that reach into Ukraine that, uh, you know, again, as mentioned, highways, pipelines. How do we leverage Ukraine's immense gas storage infrastructure? Couldn't that be useful uh, as a three C's project or a three C's priority to reinforce the energy resilience of not just Ukraine and Central Europe, but wider Europe? Apparently, its gas, res- its gas storage capacities match those of any in, in, in Europe and will be a significant addition to that capacity, which is demonstrated today the energy crisis Europe is facing could be very, very useful. You know, digital connectivity, a uh, huge amount of digital potential in, in, in Ukraine that, contribute, that can contribute to a wider uh, European prosperity. So three Cs, you ought to be looking for projects that cross into Ukraine because a three Cs project doesn't have to, just, doesn't have to be just between two three C states. It just has to involve one, one three C state and another country. Yes, that's also why we see not only Ukraine, but uh, Finland, Greece, uh, Germany eyeing at the projects and uh, and the platform of the three Cs. Speaking of which, we have uh, seen those leaders at the last summit um, in Sofia, uh, in Bulgaria. In this, uh, this year, this is Latvian presidency. The summit is expected uh, in June. We're also very happy that the Latvian presidency took seriously our report recommendations and they're launching civil society forum of the three C's in, in May. And I, you know, I, there is no better person to ask than yourself, Ian, um, uh, on how do you see uh, the state of three C's today? And uh, what sort of ambition do you see set forth right now by the three C's itself, uh, you know, as a, as a commentator of the, of the initiative, what would you say is, is, is the state of play um, in the three C's today during the Latvian presidency? Well, depending on you count, how you count, the three C's initiative is about seven years old. And uh, the progress is made, I, I wouldn't describe it as a tsunami, but the downside of a tsunami is, you know, it kind of rolls in and then it rolls back out. This has been steady, incremental, steadfast progress. And I see that by the rising support uh, across Central and Eastern Europe for this. It's no longer just presidents and their offices that are promoting and, and advancing three C's. It's now the governments. <clears throat> you see the institutionalization of three C's through the three C's fund. Uh, this is a groundbreaking initiative, a great essential European innovation that I think is going to spread and be used elsewhere around the world to, you know, to, to, to drive forward cross-border infrastructural development, leveraging the power of the market instead of just relying on government monies. This is an important and successful experiment, and it reflects the institutional core of, of, of the three Cs. And so nine of the three Cs countries, of the, three, of the 12 three Cs countries, have invested over a billion uh, equivalent dollars 
just about a billion euros uh, <coughs> into the fund uh, on a fire and forget principle. It's there, it's parked, and it's being used on, to make profit through infrastructure. This is profound. Uh, this is groundbreaking. Support for the three C's is spreading on uh, the United States. It's always been pretty strong. It survived the transition from President Trump to President Biden. Biden and his team are very supportive of three C's. In Germany, you see widening support. The UK attended the three uh, C summit in Sofia. Uh, so there's it's the EU every year has been more present or more pre present in, in increasingly senior levels and numbers at three C summits. So the progress is, is is moving forward. We're seeing signs of increased interest in the private sector in three C's. Three C's fund has already made three investments. It spent some four hundred over 400 million of that billion dollars on, on investments. That's real, that's progress on the ground. So it's moving forward. It has a lot more to do, uh, but this is something new and groundbreaking. And I think we should appreciate the progress it's making. And I'm hoping that more support will come from Germany, from the European Union. The United States will eventually translate or transform its commitment to invest in, into the three C's fund in an actual equity investment as was promised. And I remain optimistic about that. You know, the other thing I've mentioned, you mentioned the three C's summit in, in June. Those uh, weeks in June are going to be really, really important. Um, there are going to be a number of important transatlantic events, global events occurring in Europe at, around the time of the three C's summit. So you have the three C's summit. You have a NATO summit. You'll probably have a U.S. EU summit. And you'll have a G7 summit, which will also be focusing somewhat on, on infrastructure, building, building back better. Uh, so that provides a real important opportunity for the transatlantic community to underscore the infrastructural dimension um, of growth, uh, of prosperity, and of security. And 3C should be front and center uh, in those initiatives. We'll be interesting to see how the nations weave together those summits and integrate three C's into the message uh, and the strategy that they're going to be presenting to the transatlantic communities publics. So that is an interesting thought indeed, and a real opportunity for the Latvian presidency to uh, bring everyone uh, on board for with this ambition. How about more practical projects of the three C's, kind of looking on the ground of what is in the making? You mentioned uh, two or three successful projects already being funded from the, from the fund. Um, don't you think that's a little, uh, little kind of, uh, to, to, it's, 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 uh, not enough for the ambition set forth. Well, for, you know, I this. guess the question I ask is, has anyone come up with a better idea, uh, to, you know, drive infrastructure projects more quickly? You imagine this is an ambitious project. I mean, we're talking about, you know, addressing a, a deficit that some estimate to be over a trillion dollars, the infrastructure gap between Central and Eastern Europe and, and that of, of, of Western Europe. We're talking about multinational projects, cross-border projects. Those are incredibly complex. They don't happen over, overnight. Uh, so three C's is actually moving forward. Sure, we'd all love it to be moving faster. We'd love it to be bigger and bolder. But sometimes moving slow and steady particularly when it comes down to infrastructure, is a more uh, risk-mitigating approach than kind of a haberdash slapping down a lot of money and then making a lot of mistakes. So I'm actually kind of very, very satisfied with, with, with the progress that the 3C is making. There's more than can be done. 
Uh, probably the most urgent thing it could do is actually stand up a secretariat so that uh, there is a 24-7 operation that is marketing this initiative, that is driving forward, that's thinking of different issues, initiatives that can make the region even more attractive to foreign direct investment. That can you know, ensure that the face of three Cs is omnipresent globally, uh, particularly in, in the important financial circles in Europe, in North America, and in Asia. That is uh, that is indeed something I think uh, everybody looks forward to in in uh, in Central Europe to 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 see that level of success and to see how how the region attracts those investors um, in, in the in the current context. Last words, last question, really about uh, uh, Joe Biden's administration, the current administration. It was very rare to see how uh, how quickly um, the White House after transition of power, jump on board on the project that was sponsored politically uh, by the predecessor from another camp. So uh, Trump-led initiative was quickly endorsed by, as you said, both President Biden and uh, Secretary of State, uh, Mr. Blinken. Now, does it come, um, was it just vocal or, uh, or can we say, you know, give some examples of how in practical terms that is, um, uh, that this transform, you know, transformative and and is is, is bringing some um, real action behind it. Well, let's remember that U- U.S. support for the three C's, and remember U.S. support for the three C's, you know, started when three C's was launched during the Obama administration, and it became very robust under the Trump administration. And it was the Trump administration that rolled out the billion dollar commitment. That billion dollar commitment was based on bipartisan congressional. A legislation that authorized the U.S. government to invest uh, in Central European, Central and East European energy infrastructure, uh, and then it was fine-tuned with a a, uh, a commitment to invest three hundred million dollars into the Three C's Fund via an equity investment. And then the Biden administration, you know, so continued that support. So I just want to make clear that you know this is U.S. support for a Central European launched and led initiative. It's not an American initiative, it is a Central European launch and led initiative. And so that support has been bipartisan and this cross administrations. Uh, yes, the Biden administration, I believe, is committed to three C's. Um, it sees it as part of a way to strengthen um, the, the region's economic growth, its economic resilience, um, its economic security, and its military security. But I have to agree with you, uh, until this three C's fund is um, until the U.S. government invests in the Three C's Fund, as was promised, unfortunately, U.S. support remains largely more rhetorical than than um, than substantive. But you know, I have the privilege of uh, engaging a number of Biden officials, and I can look you in the eye and say they are supportive of Three C's. They recognize its significance. They recognize its ingenuity. Uh, but we're all frustrated that uh, it's taking so long to effectuate this commitment. We'll definitely look forward, but once it comes, there there will be it will be a major splash uh, because that would be the first uh, foreign and strategic investment from uh, beyond Central Europe. Yeah, which... it will be important because you know what's what's frustrating about this commitment is that when it was made, it energized the uh, the initiative, it added credibility to the initiative, and it caught the attention of the private financial markets. Now, a year and a quarter later, private financial markets, the target of the three C's initiative, is now wondering, why hasn't the United States 
invested. What is the United States seeing, U.S. government seeing that we're not seeing, that they're not seeing? Uh, so it's actually become, it's transformed from a, a, a catalyst, from a, uh, a source of momentum to actually a bit of a drag. But mm -hmm. I, I know the U.S. government's working hard on how to, to drive this and, 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 and you know, to effectuate this, this commitment, uh, this equity investment. And I'm com confident, at least optimistic, that that will occur before the June uh, 3C summit in Riga. Okay, so for our listeners, also for, from across the Atlantic, a message from Central Europe, there is no better time to actually come up with this investment right now in, in, the, in the times where uh, the risks uh, related to the crisis in Ukraine are undermining uh, the uh, potential, um, uh, simply the, they are, they're increasing the economic risk for investors in, in the region. And such an investment would be definitely uh, seen as a, uh, a good investment in stability of the whole region. Wouldn't you agree? Totally agree. I mean, the crisis we're facing today, the Russia crisis, Russia's aggression against Ukraine, you know, underscores the need for a comprehensive U.S. strategy, comprehensive West European strategy, and a comprehensive European strategy to strengthen the economic resilience, economic strength, and the military security of you know, the countries of Central and Eastern Europe. And uh, three C's is not the only answer, uh, but it's an, it has to be an important element of that comprehensive strategy. Thank you very much, Ian. Pleasure, Wojciech. Good to see you.